Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 111 of Real Blend, a podcast that wishes Jessica Chastain a very happy birthday. Hey! Uh, in, in this week's episode, uh, I know that we have been saying that we want the show to be a distraction, and it will continue to be a distraction from all of the insanity going on in our collective lives, but we were able to put our news hats on and speak with uh, Phil Contrino from the National Association of Theater Owners. Yes, they go by NATO, uh, not that NATO, the other NATO. Um, and Phil, who is the director of media and research, um, got on with us to discuss what's going on with movie theaters and the current state, uh, the current climate uh, for movie theaters and his hope for the future of movie theaters. And I just think that you guys are going to find that to be a really interesting conversation. Uh, all the questions we are able to bring up with him, we are also going to discuss uh, some of the movies that are making their way to VOD and get into uh, our Jessica Chastain blend pick, which is endorsed by Miss Jessica Chastain herself. But before we get there, obviously, my name is Sean O'Connell. I'm the managing director here at Cinema Blend, and I'm joined, as always, by now working from the confines of his home, Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hi, Jakey. My man, uh, whenever you mentioned giving uh, Jessica Chastain a happy birthday shout out. My first thought immediately went to all the times I had to sing a happy birthday song whenever I was a waiter. Did you guys ever have, do you guys were ever, were you ever servers? Did you ever have to do that and sing people happy birthday? Never waited tables. Uh, It's, I I can, I still have the, because I I serve tables for a Cajun seafood restaurant called Papado and I still have the birthday song. Like I'll, I'll be on my deathbed and still have it in my head. It's just like a different version. Yeah, yeah, it's of, a different. Like it's like a happy, yeah, happy birthday, happy, happy like something like yeah, yeah. I don't want to, I don't, I don't, I don't, don't want to um torture you with that. But no, Jake. Now that's all I want to hear. Honestly, <laughs> is the version of what was the name of the place again? Papa what? Papa Do. Papa yeah. Do. Papa Do. What like a pizza place? No, it was a Cajun seafood restaurant. Um, it was a it's a family of restaurants called it's the Papa's family owned. So it's like Papa Do for Cajun. It's like you know with an X, you know like Cajun Cajun food. Papa Do D E A U X. There was Papa Cito's. There was the Mexican uh, restaurant. Papa's Burgers. Um, all kind of like different. But, but I worked at the Cajun. I had a little bow tie and a little black vest, and and uh, I was horrible. Oh, that's that's adorable. Uh, I love I was everything a about horrible that. Horrible waiter. Uh, you know who else loves burgers? Kevin McCarthy. Fox Five in Washington D.C. Hi, Kev. I do love a good burger, like In and Out, right? Like that—that that truly is a good burger. Wait, did you um, mention Good Burger because I watched it for the first time? I did mention Good Burger because you watched it for the first time, which is—I'm <laughs> actually happy that you were able to watch it. What's funny is I was texting Sean this morning, and Sean had tweeted out that he watched Good Burger last night. And I'm like, hey, basically, how did you start watching? And he goes, Well, my son Brendan, you know, wanted to watch it, and and then Michelle and I sat down and watched it and started laughing. I'm like. Dude, your son, Brendan, how old is he? He is 12. Okay. Him and I have the same exact thought processes on things. Like I, I he likes Shirley Temples. Yeah. I love Shirley Temples. He likes Good Burger. I love Good Burger. So Brendan, if Basically, you're listening. Basically, what we're saying is Kevin is a child. I'm a 12-year-old. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I'm raising a small Kevin McCarthy. Exactly. God help you. <laughs> uh, a quick reminder that we have a community page over on Facebook and you can get uh, extensions of the show. The Blenders are diving into their own topics. They're running their own polls. It's great to see how active they are over there. So if you want to search for Real Blend Podcast Community on Facebook, you can join that group. In addition, we are posting episodes fully on Cinema Blend's YouTube page. So if you'd rather stream us via that channel, you can do that as well, too. 
Uh, but of course, we're available all of the different places where your favorite podcasts are able to be downloaded. If you haven't yet subscribed, please do so. And then do us a huge favor. Go that extra step and recommend Real Blend to a friend. It's been really nice to see, especially last week when we... um came back, uh, you know, not that we went away, but necessarily everything was closing and everything was getting postponed. And then we did an episode and we heard from a lot of people that were just like, thank you guys so much for continuing to do the show. Uh, it's a great distraction. And that was definitely the point. And then Kevin even said, like, I'm just really happy that we're able to continue doing the show and find yep. other people to talk to. It's still in that interview slot. Phil uh, Contrino was a really great guest, as you guys will hear later on in the show. We have some other really cool people lined up that are uh, going to be coming for some VOD type things that we still think are in the wheelhouse, but we love doing the show a lot. And uh, so we're really happy that, that you guys are are uh, excited to listen And even to if we didn't, we have no excuse to not do this. Like, it's, it's not like I could ever be like, hey, I'm busy. I can't do this show. I've got nothing going on. I have nowhere to be. Yeah, we literally, this is, this, this is what we do all the time. This is no different from what we always do. We always record on Skype, like Sean was saying. And so it's, it's not anything different for us. It's just easier on Gabe because poor Gabe always had to manage our schedules prior to this. And since we don't travel anymore, um, he, he can get us all the time. So the shows may get longer and maybe we'll even do more of them. Who knows? We'll see how it goes. Uh, wait, wait did Gabe poll. say that we can do longer shows? <laughs> or more of them. <laughs> I would like to see him have to sit down and edit more of our conversations. Uh, we asked you guys on our weekly poll, which titles uh, would you actually pay to stream? And I was a little bit surprised that other uh, did as well as it's going to uh, did as well as it did. It got 20% of the vote uh, because we offered birds of prey, the hunt and the invisible man. Now the hunt, didn't do quite as well with y'all. It got 15% of the vote. Birds of Prey kind of locked in around each other. 27% for Birds of Prey, 37% for Invisible Man. It showed that people actually were buying into these VOD titles being made available. Uh, but the 20% got into uh, things like The Gentleman and Emma. I saw a lot of people saying they checked out Emma on VOD. Uh, people have been sharing, obviously, on social media, the titles they've been going. I saw a lot of people put in Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yes, we all want to see Zack Snyder's Justice League, <laughs> and we would pay <laughs> to watch that be streamed. Um, but, Kevin, you wanted to throw out... Oh, no, um, we'll talk about the gentleman in a little bit, but uh, I guess, are you guys surprised how many people that you saw on social media tweeting out that they're giving chances to movies like Invisible Man? I saw Lee Whannell did, like, a commentary track for Invisible Man while it was going, and a lot of people saying they were seeing things like Emma... Um, are, you, are you guys surprised that people are trying this out or is it just because we're all quarantined? I, I feel like though with The Invisible Man, I feel like so many people had already seen it that it wasn't yeah. as big of a VOD draw. I'm sure a lot of people rewatched it and, and, and I'm sure there are plenty of people that didn't see it and, and ended up watching it anyway. But to me, something like Emma or The Hunt was the perfect uh, VOD movie because, you know, I, I know a lot of people hadn't had the chance to see those yet. Um, I don't think The Hunt did particularly well. Um, in the theaters, I, I didn't get a chance to see either one. So to me, that was the one that I got excited. Like I actually voted for the hunt, not because I necessarily like was more excited about that than Invisible Man, but I'd already seen Invisible Man, so I didn't really feel the need to pay twenty dollars to see it again. So that's why I felt like maybe Invisible Man 
didn't quite get the traction because so many people in our listening audience uh, maybe had already seen it. Yeah, I mean, Laura and I already already purchased three films uh, through the VOD services early. We rented Emma uh, for the 48-hour rental period with Universal. Uh, we did uh, Bloodshot, which we're going to watch today, which we haven't finished yet, but we <laughs> bought that today. I know. Why? I know. And, I, and I haven't seen Bloodshot. I also uh, saw The Hunt. Uh, on VOD, and uh, we're gonna do. I, I'm the gentleman. Lauren bought the gentleman Love this morning gentleman. and watched it. My thing is, and I'm very curious about this, as as why certain studios are doing rentals versus purchase, and like this is where it gets a little bit into the minutia about these VOD services and kind of what these things mean. But with Pixar's Onward, for example, that is a purchase for 19.99. You own the film digitally. Uh, oh, same see. thing. The Way Back is a purchase. You own it digitally. Birds of Prey, you own. Just Mercy, you own. Mm. Also, Gentlemen, you own. Invisible Man, Hunt, and Emma were all 48-hour rental periods at basically the same price. Which is why I'm interested. That's what I want to know is because we rented uh, Emma, and it went away in 48 hours. But we still paid $19.99 for it plus tax. But today, we rented The Gentleman for whatever the pricing on that was. It was $15 or $20. Now we own that. And we, are all, we own Bloodshot and we also own. So that's where I'm wondering, is it because Universal came first? And since they were the first ones to really announce this VOD thing that they just went with the rental period first. And then the other studios were like, well, what, why don't we just let the people own the movies for $20? So do you guys think that there was just a miscommunication there? Or do you think the rental versus the purchase is just something that the studio decided on? It feels like it was a company policy um, because if Invisible Man and then Emma, which I think is like a Fox Searchlight title. Uh, um, yeah. Fo- focus features. Yeah. Oh, Focus. Uh, OK, so Focus. And I think Focus is an arm of NBC Universal. They're owned by Universal. Yep. OK, so that feel, that's two Universal titles that went with just a rental policy, whereas three. all the Warner Brothers ones went with, oh, three of them. OK. Oh, The Hunt, right? That was the other yeah. one. The other ones are Warner Brothers. So it feels like it was just a company policy, like whichever one they rolled out. I prefer Disney as well. Own. I prefer the own. If you're going to pay that price. Well, that's the thing. And like, and, the, and I was having a, a discussion with uh, a friend of mine on Twitter today about this. And he's like, well, I'm not paying $20 to buy a movie. I'm like, dude, right now, movie theaters are closed. Imagine, imagine if you have a family of five people and you could buy a movie for $20 in your house and yeah. all five of you can watch it. That is majorly helpful to people who are struggling that can't work there's a lot of ways and that's where that's where i really get angry when people call movies trivial because they there's such an emotional attachment to what movies do for people but also the idea of fitting five people in a room and watching one movie for 20 dollars. maybe that family is struggling maybe their parents can't go to work and they can't afford you know $50, however much these prices could have been. Um, But I am interested. I would love to have asked Phil that question because I think that's something that I find interesting is most of them, STX released The Gentleman. That is a purchase. We own The Gentleman now digitally for $20. So that's what I'm interested in knowing is how they chose that. Because most of them went purchase. I'm going to throw to uh, our interview with Phil right now, but I want to follow up on a point that Kevin brought up on the other side of this interview. But this is a great time to transition right now to our interview um, with Phil Contrino, who, again, is the director of media and research, who had some really important messages that he wanted to get out uh, to the Real Blend community and uh, to movie theater goers in general about the state of movie theaters, where we're at right now uh, as COVID-19 continues to implement a lot of shutdowns and the industry uh, moves forward through a very uncertain time. Uh, he'll talk at the at the beginning of the conversation of how unprecedented this is and, and how, you know, there's going to be some changes going forward. 
But uh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel and there's a, a lot of movies that are waiting for their opportunity to come to theaters and to lure everybody back in. So I'll let Phil explain it. This is Phil Contrino, uh, the director of media and research for NATO, the National Association of Theater Owners. Uh, so to kick off, I really want to give Phil an opportunity uh, to introduce himself and talk to our listeners here at Real Blend about what NATO is um, and what it primarily does, what its pr- primary function is, so that our listeners can kind of be brought up to speed about where this information is coming from. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, thanks for the opportunity to, to be on the show today. Um, yeah, it's, it's important for us to explain what NATO is, especially um, I'm based in D.C. So when I tell people I work for NATO, I get very interesting reactions. And then, you know, I, I, I uh, go right into, you know, no, look, it's the National Association of Theater Owners. So most, you know, most people don't understand what a trade association is exactly. But we've got um, we've got members in all 50 states representing 33,000 or so of the, the 41,000 movie screens that are in the country. And actually, international movie theater owners are members as well. We've got members in right around 100 countries. Um, it fluctuates um, all the time. We sign up new countries all the time. Um, and, and what we do is we just work on behalf of movie theaters in, in anything that they are interested in and, and anything that is important to their business. So we talk to the studios a lot on their behalf, really establish strong relationships with all content providers to, to make sure that the concerns of movie theaters are front and center. And then we've got, you know, um, a government relations team that just makes sure that they are putting the important issues that are um, relevant to our members front and center with, with politicians and, and how legislation is impacted. Um, And that's a big part of it. And then we also, in terms of media, we act as, in a lot of ways, kind of the voice of the industry. Um, We get a ton of media inquiries um, asking about a a lot of topics. And sometimes, you know, our members don't want to be in the press talking about those specifically. So we can fill that role role for them. Um, So that's that's really it in a nutshell. Now, leading up to this interview, Phil, you and I were talking about this current situation um, with the closing of so many theaters nationwide. And um, you told me that it was unprecedented. We've never seen a shutdown on this level. And so with no real historical reference point for this type of situation, I'm curious just to start off with how NATO is navigating uh, through the current climate right now. Yeah, well, I mean, the the biggest thing is we are pushing to make sure that um, the government aid that's currently being debated by Congress right now and and hopefully is going to pass very soon. I mean, this is something that's happening very quickly. By the time we're done with this podcast, something could have passed and this will be irrelevant. We hope so. But we're making sure that movie theaters and their employees are um, a part of it. Right. Um, It's where the the term that's being thrown around a lot right now is um, distressed industries. Right. Industries that their their ability to do business is brought to a halt entirely by what's happening right now. And we're absolutely one of them. Um, and, and our the employees at movie theaters, you know, movie theaters in North America employ 150,000 people. That's a lot of people that can't show up to work right now. Um, so that, that's, that's our big push is just to make sure that in, in any aid that's passed um, were, were included. 
Uh, Phil, you know, Kevin and I were just talking uh, before we got going about how often over the past couple of weeks we've been asked, oh, do you guys still have something to talk about since you're entertainment reporters? And we're going like, <laughs> yeah, of course we like this is a multi-billion dollar industry that's being affected by what's going on. So to your point, 150,000 workers who were being affected by what's going on. But you're not hearing about the theater industry in terms of government bailouts um, as often or as repetitive as you're hearing about the banks or the airline industry. Um, but but I mean, we're, we're all talking or even like hotels or restaurants for that matter. Why do you think or do you think um, that the theater industry is being treated uh, differently or maybe even to a degree like lesser so than other industries who um, are kind of having their hand out looking for a bailout right now? Well, I think, first of all, those are the, the immediate industries that kind of get a lot of attention because people rely on them so heavily. But but what's obviously becoming clear by the day as more people are, are filing for unemployment and, and this impact is being felt is that the aid needs to just be across the board, right, to, to all industries that are impacted because – a job is a, is a job, right? Everybody goes to work in a, in a different way, but that doesn't mean that their need is any less um, important in, in terms of employees, right? I mean, um, to me, that's that's where we're coming from. You know, I, uh, I, I thought the article that Christopher Nolan did, the op-ed for the Washington Post recently, uh, this week actually, was really powerful, talking about the idea of importance and the idea of the article itself being called movie theaters are a vital part of American social life. They will need our help. Uh, so I was just curious what, what it meant for a filmmaker like that to come out and speak to the themes you're referring to now. Obviously, he's talking about movie theaters and uh, employees. I find that some people look at movies and go, oh, movies are trivial. But then you got to think about the uh, thousands of people who actually work on films, the thousands of people who, you know, who work around movie theaters across the country and the world. And then all these employees. So to have Christopher Nolan write an op-ed like that, and Nolan is one of the few, in my opinion, filmmakers who's been such a major advocate for theaters. Uh, I saw Dunkirk six times in 70 millimeter <laughs> IMAX. Um, I, I can't wait to see Tenet 10 times in 70 millimeter IMAX. So I guess my, 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 my question is, what, what does it mean for a filmmaker like that to come out? I mean, he's obviously a major theater advocate. And what can, can we expect things from other filmmakers like Tarantino or people who are really passionate about the movie theater going experience? Uh, absolutely. That's a great question. And, and yes, you can expect more. And it, and it means a lot. Right. I, I would compare it to how, you know, um, when the NBA announced that their season was ending, uh, you had a bunch of basketball players coming out and saying su- supporting the, the kind of industry that they had. Right. It's yeah. the same way. We need directors right now to come out and say, look, we make our movies for theaters. We want our movies in theaters. They're closed right now, but when they're open again, we can't wait to have them them come home to, to theaters w- where they belong. And Christopher Nolan, we've actually that's a big part of actually what we're doing right now is we're hearing from the creative community a lot, and they're coming to us and they're saying, you know, how can we help? What what can we do right now? So we've had um, Paul Feig tweeted out. Um, uh, John M. Chu has has been active. Um, and uh, and Sean Baker in the Indie community, uh, director of the Florida Project. And, and this is just a tip of, of it. I, I think we're going to have a huge wave of directors because there's this not to segue, but I think it's a, important to, to this topic is that there's a lot of this speculation out there now that, um, you know, because the movies that were in theaters right now are going to the home because they have no other choice, that that's going to become kind of the new normal. And this is going to. 
um, lead to more movies that would have opened in theaters going to streaming because of this crisis. And it's important for directors to get out there and say, look, no, 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 that's not the future we want. That's, and I don't think that's the future that anybody wants. And, no. and part of our job is to kind of cut that off and just just stop it. I mean, we're, we're going to get back to normal again. And when we do, movie theaters are going to be a huge part of that normal. People are going to flood in. People are going to be, after the end of this, they're going to be so sick and tired of watching things at home. Yeah. Right. You know, so not, not to get off on a tangent, but that's that's why we want filmmakers out there um, talking about this. I mean, you're talking you're talking to uh, three guys who are obsessed with the theater going experience. I've, I've gotten screeners in the mail from movies and gone to the theater, even now I had the screener at home with me uh, just because I wanted to see it in, in the theater. But my uh, follow up real quick to that. And I'll, I don't want to take too much time on this. But, you know, right before we did this podcast today, Patty Jenkins tweeted out about Wonder Woman being delayed to August. And the only reason I'm bringing that up to you now is because of what you just said about directors coming out and saying, I, I, I value the theatrical experience. So Patty clearly understood that and was not going to allow Wonder Woman to go to VOD as she wanted it to still be released theatrically. So is is it becoming a filmmaker uh, decision? That's kind of what I'm noticing. Is is it is it a filmmaker going to the studio and pushing to still have their movie released theatrically? Well, look, it's, it's a, studios want to keep their filmmakers happy, right? That, that's at the core of this. So absolutely, they are listening to what their filmmakers are, are saying on the subject. Um, you know, the decision making process is obviously a very complicated one, but um, and, and also, too, they're, they're, they are in the Warner Brothers is in the business of releasing big movies right. and mid range movies into theaters and maximizing the return on the theatrical release. And then it goes to the home. That's that's a key point that can't be missed here is that how you, you cannot measure the return on investment on content when it when it goes um, straight to the home. It's just at least if, if it's if it's put on a streaming service, like if it goes to um, obviously HBO Max hasn't launched it. But if if something goes straight to, to Netflix, how do you measure the, the return on investment on that? And with with the movies that are um, going from being in theaters to being in uh, being on streaming, yeah, they can measure, you know, how much money they're making off of the, the streaming prices that they're, they're charging a lot for. Um, but that's not, that's going to be nowhere near the same return as what they get from a, a robust theatrical run. And, and that doesn't change because of, you know, when we're back and theaters are open again, that same business model applies. That's, nothing changes in regards to that. So Phil, we're kind of uh, geeks about the, you know, something as intricate as a release schedule, right? Yeah. And, and you might not even know the answer to this, but I'm just curious about your insight into this. We, we keep hearing about these major films and, and you know, mid-range films and indie films and everything getting delayed with no place to essentially screen. Uh, how much conversation do you guys have? Do you have any insight at all in ter- talking with the studios to deal with the, the log jam and coordinate so that, you know, the, when the theaters are able to open and these films are able to be screened, uh, you know, studios put a lot of time and effort into when they're going to release something so they're not competing with something else that's too directly close to it. You look at movies like uh, Fast 9 or the, or No Time to Die, that they have to have a global release. Um, there's things to take into consideration, like who's going to get an IMAX screen. There's all these factors that come into play. How much conversation do you guys have to help studios sort of facilitate 
that release schedule once we're back to business as usual? I mean, that's not our role in, in that sense. Like we're not sitting down with them saying, well, this is where you can put your movie or not. That's, in, that's entirely on them. I mean, broadly speaking, we're just encouraging them to make sure it does open in theaters first. And, and the okay. studios are listening to that. But what I will say about the, the, you know, the log jam, as you call it, um, look, it, we're, we're, it's a 52 week release calendar when it's, when it's business as usual. Right. So when we get back to this, um, you know, there, there used to be this notion of, Oh, you can't open a movie in January. You can't open a movie in February because, uh, you, you got to wait till the summer when teenagers are out of school for it to be successful. And then over the last five, 10 years, that's gone completely out of, out the window because there have been huge movies in basically every month of the year. So I'll say that, yeah, it, it's going to be difficult. Um, there, there is going to be a log jam and there's going to, things are going to have to move around and things are going to have to shift. And that means that, you know, things that were in, on the calendar in, in 2021 will, will even be impacted. But there, there is room. There's, there's room to breathe. And, and the studios are incredibly smart about this. They'll figure out a date that works for them and, and they'll stake it out. And then, and then, you know, then it becomes a battle of, you know, one, one movie moves into one date and then that's, that might shift things around, but they'll figure it out and it'll, it'll work to the advantage of both the studios and the, and the theaters. Uh, Phil, I, I live in Chicago where there are a lot of um, really amazing small mom and pop shop kind of independent theaters. Um, and uh, and I know both, you know, Kevin and Sean and, and Gabe, you know, we, we all sort of have our own favorite kind of like independent theater. That's not really a part of a chain. That's not an AMC or a Cinemark or whatever the case may be. Um, is there a difference in your concern for the the small local mom and pop shop theaters as opposed to the sort of the bigger chains because my, my first thought was the chains are going to be okay the chains are probably going to be able to take care of themselves at the end of the day but the you know the mom and pop that own one theater in the small town they're probably going to feel this a little bit harder am, am, am i wrong in assuming that well no, no they all have they have their own unique financial concerns in this situation and look our membership ranges the whole spectrum right we represent the big chains all the way down to the mom and pop you know one screen theaters and we want all of them to survive. And that's why specifically in, in the way that we are talking to members of Congress and, and our messaging there is we want it to, we want the aid to apply to all businesses because all, you know, that whole range of it, there, there's times when you want, you know, the kind of experience that you get from a major chain theater, right? You know, and then there's also times that you want maybe something a little more, uh, in, in line with what you get from a mom and pop things. And, and, and both, both of those experiences are absolutely crucial to the health of our industry. Right. And we want to make sure they're, they're all protected. Um, and, you know, I think ever, all the chains and all the mom and pops and, and all the theaters are, are doing a lot kind of already to reach out to their customers who are able to support them during this time and encourage ways to support them. And, and the biggest thing that I'm hearing from our members is Buy gift cards. If you if you're able to support movie theaters right now, the biggest thing you can do is is buy a gift card. That's money that's coming into them, and when they open again, there you go. You've got your gift card, and you and you can and you can go to the movies, and it, it means a lot, you know, um, during this difficult time. But we've had we've had really tough conversations with our members. Um, you know, B and B theaters, which is in uh, Missouri, which I know Cinema Blend is is based there. Mm -hmm. um, yep. You know, they've never had to lay off an employee in their entire history. And they're, they're 90, 
they've been in business for over 90 years and they had to lay off 2000 people. You know how painful, you know how painful that is. It's, it's just a lot of pain out there right now. And, you know, obviously, yeah, we're the entertainment industry and it's, it's not to discount, you know, the, the other pain that's going on, but this is, this is what, what our focus is, right. And, and what everyone on this podcast does on a day-to-day basis. And we've, and we've got to fight for that. That's, that's where we can have an impact, you know? I was uh, curious about the conversations that were had with studios and, and, and the VOD elements. And I understand the VOD part of it is not necessarily your, in your particular field, but it's something that's, that you're talking about because, you know, as these movies are moving to VOD, The Invisible Man, The Hunt, Emma, Onward, um, I'm curious what conversations were had with those moves. Some of those movies became rentals. Some of them became purchased films. Uh, is are the studios, theaters, NATO at all benefiting at all, like from a financial standpoint, from the purchases that are made on VOD at all? Like, is there any money still going to the theaters at all? Yeah, I mean, we're not. I mean, that's a one hundred percent a studio conversation in terms of what they do with their their move and moving their movies to VOD. We're not privy to that. Um, I know that on at least the independent level, there uh, Kino Lorber is one of them that they're making an effort to um, sync it up so that basically when a movie is rented, um, they're contributing it to movie theaters, a, a portion of that. Um, cool. Well, yeah. Will we see more of that? Um, you know, I, I hope so. I, I would like to see that. Um, but I mean, ultimately, the most important thing is is for the movies that were scheduled to be released in theaters that, that can't be now. It's just making sure for, from our end, what we're pushing for is just making sure that they are just delayed until to when movies open again and they and they don't go the, the straight to, to VOD route. Yeah, but moving Trolls to April, I mean, having it open April 10th uh, as a VOD, it automatically breaks that 90-day exclusivity, you know, theatrical deal, right? In the sense with like Universal Pictures doing that. So doesn't that create a, does that create an issue? Look, our, our members are very upset about that, and to be completely honest. And our, our CEO, John Fithian, did a bunch of press related to it. Um, we weren't happy about it. it it's not good. It, it doesn't send a good message to um, to the partnership that exists between uh, movie theaters and studios. It's a very symbiotic relationship and it's it's built on trust. And that just was not it was not a good moment. But luckily, it's it's very much in terms of the major releases. It's the anomaly. You've got Bond has moved. Um, you know, uh, Wonder Woman is, is delayed. Uh, you know, In the Heights is delayed. Um, Black you know, Widow. You can go there, Black Widow, Mulan. You know, you can just go down the list. They're, they're all just delayed. And in that sense, what, what is ultimately the, the strongest message to, to not only just the movie theaters, but also to consumers. It, you know, n- again, not to get on a tangent, but this, the, an important part of this is the notion of what creates value for a movie, right? Nothing creates more value for a movie than a successful, strong, robust theatrical run in theaters. You know, there's no amount of marketing you can spend to replace that. And that's why I think with, um, you know, this, this, this notion that, well, everything's going to go to streaming and people will just 
pay for it there. It'll be just as valuable there. No, that that's not the case. It, it need, a movie like, you know, No Time to Die or Wonder Woman or, or Mulan or any of these other ones we were talking about, they need the, the halo effect that comes from, from movie theaters and also the, the billions of dollars, <laughs> you know, um, which leads to more money down the road. Phil, I want to um, follow back up on your point about your members being upset about what's going on uh, with trolls and trolls going directly to VOD instead of uh, going to theaters. Um, and specifically the comments that, that John made uh, that were picked up, I think, by The Hollywood Reporter. Um, you know, so obviously I, I work in a newsroom and, and, and I'm on the younger side of people, but I work with a lot of people who are parents. And whenever I covered that story about trolls going directly uh, to VOD, I mean, we're talking about parents who are right now. Um, basically stuck, you know, not stuck, but, but at home with their children, um, with nothing else to do other than either get creative with arts and crafts or put some sort of entertainment in front of them on their screen. Um, and they are desperate for, for something new, something that their kids haven't seen 10,000 times. So whenever I did that story about trolls going directly to VOD, there was a small minor cheering group of parents going, Oh, thank God, something, something new for my kid to watch. Now I understand from your perspective uh, why that's a bad thing. But to the parent out there who's stuck at home with their kid and desperate for something to watch to that group of people, you guys would say what? You know, I would say that um, it, this is just don't get used to it. <laughs> that's what I would say. Don't get used to it. <laughs> this enough. is not going to be, you know, the, it's not going to be the new normal. And And look at what if, if these, you know, I, I, and I know I've seen exactly what you're talking about, where parents um, or I've, I've talked to uh, or heard from other parents, too, um, that they say, yeah, we, we need content to show our kids. But these same parents are also saying, well, maybe Disney's going to release Mulan straight to Disney Plus. Uh, don't hold your breath. Like it's, it's not going to happen. Um, so it, it's an anomaly. Um, it's it's very much a part of what is happening with this crisis right now, it's not going to be the new normal. Um, just not going to happen. <laughs> Fair enough. Phil, a couple of industries that have been trying to um, find their way forward in this, uh, restaurants in particular, uh, are going to uh, take out, you know, strong takeout, strong delivery, trying to do what they normally do, uh, but do it in a different way. Movie theaters are somewhat limited in the fact that, you know, you, you need the people to come to you. There's no way you can bring your service to them necessarily. But when all this was starting and it was happening very quickly and in real time, you guys were implementing policies like the 50-50 ratio uh, to, you know, still get people inside the theater, but but find a way to social distance. I'm curious, uh, have there been any conversations uh, on your end to, you know, soft relaunch almost, you know, or, or open back up with new policies that do um, implement some changes at your theaters uh, that respect things like social distancing, but still get to a place where you are somewhat open for business and we're, and we're inching closer to normalcy. Yeah. I mean, look, obviously our, our members want to open as, as soon as they possibly can, but we're, we're not experts on, you know, how, how fast this crisis is, is going to be solved. Um, what I'll say is that we already have kind of a, a concrete example of, of what's happening in another country that we can kind of look at and, and look at the timeline there, which is China, because okay. movie theaters there are starting to open. It's, it's, it's a slow process and, and people are kind of trickling back in, but it is happening. And, you know, they closed, it was January 23rd. I think was the uh, the time when they kind of shut all theaters down right away, you know. So you're t talking like a little over two months ago. Um, so 
that, that's kind of what we're looking at in terms of just an example and, and how things um, how things work. I mean, will it be, you know, one day all the theaters are open at the same time? Uh, probably not. I, I think it will be a similar kind of ramp up um, where where maybe like a, a pocket of theaters here, a pocket of theaters there will start to open and then you'll see more and more and then it'll eventually get back to normal. It won't be business as usual on, on you know, the first day. That would be my guess. But I mean, you know, you, you have to take something like this one day at a time, really. And then we have to be in close, we continue to be in close connection with, um, you know, local governments and, and health, uh, you know, officials and everything like that. And, and really listening to what they have to say on the issue, because, um, that's, that's important. Safety of guests is, is the number one, most important thing. Um, and, and it's something that all businesses are going to have to do too. So, you know, in that regard, we, we also can look at what restaurants are doing and, um, you know, other out of home entertainment, options like smaller concert venues or, or stuff like that and see see how they're kind of feeling their way through it um you know we just one day at a time uh, i'm interested in timeline uh, i find i found the delay the delay announcements to be very interesting like bond comes out delays till november then certain films start you know, domino effect, uh, quiet place, you know, and then all of a sudden Black Widow, uh, uh, you know, recently. So I'm curious why why the delays are dominoed like that. For example, today with Wonder Woman coming out in June, it's only March. Uh, it almost makes me wonder, like, do they know something we don't know? Like in the sense of like, that's pretty far from now, June. Um, well, and so, so, we have so, to look at it. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, just, just real quick on top of that question, though, does that are we going to start looking at films in July? Like is Nolan's tenant going to get pushed? Uh, and so I'm just wondering like, like that's since June is two, three, two and a half months away or so from, you know, Wonder Woman releasing, what do they know that we don't know that that film is being delayed? So well, it's, it's a more, it's a, it's mostly a matter of, um, I don't want to speak entirely for the studios, but a big part of it is the ability to, to market a movie, right? You know, yeah, it's, it, these are movies that are opening in June and you say, well, that's, that's quite a ways off, but how do you, how do you market a movie like that in, in what's going on right now? Yeah. Right. So that, that's a big component of it. And then it's also, um, you know, just a matter of, I think, uh, just, just playing it safe for the time being. And, and it's, it's a, gotta be an incredibly complicated decision-making process on their, on their point, on, on their part. Um, but I think it's erring on the side of caution in, in a lot yeah. of ways right now. But even, and, uh, even in the Heights though, it was pushed is pushed back and that was opening June 26th. That's the end of June, almost July. That's what's, uh, that's what I'm interested in. Like that's pretty far That's three months away. So, and like you're, we're, we're talking about the idea of January, the theaters closing in China and then some of them reopening now. Um, it, I mean, the, the, to push a movie opening June 26th, does that have something to do with the post-production aspect of it, the editing, or is that really just because they think movie theaters might not be open. By that uh, I wouldn't even want to comment on that. I wouldn't even want to, you know, I mean, I think some people on the internet go there with some of the movies that have gotten kicked really far down the line, but I, I would never say that it's a problem with the movie that um, is, is the reason why it's delayed. I think it's just, they're, they're, they're just being cautious right now. And, and they're looking at um, their, their option of theaters that, that just aren't open and, um, and, and making, they want to give themselves enough runway to properly, uh, maximize the potential of their movie. And it's just a very difficult thing to do in, in a climate like this. 
you know. Um, I guess what I would like to get out to our listeners, I know you mentioned um, that gift cards were a great way to support local theaters. I think it's uh, it's important for people to remember, you know, that that the businesses are struggling through. Is there any other type of message that you want to get out for ways that individuals uh, who are also struggling with, you know, what do we do during this time um, for all of us, you know, on the podcast and people listening to us going to the movie theaters was our escape. You know, that's that's the way that we distracted ourselves. What what other message do you want to get out to them now in this time to to say this is how you can support this community? You know, you're talking to a, a whole band, a whole audience of, of theater going fanatics. Um, what can we be doing now, in addition to make sure that we get back to normalcy as quick as possible. Yeah, I mean, so we've been encouraging filmmakers to use the hashtag support movie theaters and, and we're building momentum behind that. And a lot of our members are starting to use it now when they're they're posting, you know, positive things about the industry coming back and things returning to normal. So, I, you know, I would say if you want your support known for movie theaters and you do something like buy a gift card or or donate to, a, a, you know, a theater in your area that's a, a nonprofit theater or an art house theater. Um, you know, post, share with people on social media and, and use that hashtag just to to help just generally the, the groundswell of support that's um, that's already starting to build. All right. So uh, I will end on this uh, kind of going back to the filmmaker discussion we had at the beginning of the uh, interview in regards to Christopher Nolan and other filmmakers out there. Um, what is NATO specifically doing now? Are, are, are you actually reaching out to filmmakers? Like, have you talked to Quentin Tarantino? Have you talked to these J.J. Abrams, uh, major filmmakers that are big advocates? I mean, are, are we going to see new, other things coming like that, like Christopher Nolan's op-ed uh, piece. Like how much, you know, what, when can we expect more from that from our filmmakers? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's going to be more in the days and weeks to come. Quentin Tarantino owns a theater. The dude better get behind us. I mean, he's, <laughs> um, he's you know, and, and, um, and, I, and you think about, there's so many people, uh, so many directors who over the, the last, you know, two, three years, when this debate about will streaming kill theatrical, They've come out and said, no, I, I make my movies for theaters. And, and those are exactly the people that you're going to hear from at this time. Um, we've got a, a lot that we're working on. We'll, we'll definitely pass, pass it along to, to you guys at Cinema Blend so you can run it w- when these endorsements come out. But, um, yeah, we're going to see from the creative community and, and actors, too, you know. Um, and producers and, and everybody who's who's tied to this industry so closely, um, they don't you know, they don't spend hundreds of millions of dollars and, and devote years of their life on these movies yeah. so that they can be watched at home by default. That is such a that's not the outcome that anybody wants for for something that they invest so much of themselves in. And we're going to be back. And people are going to be watching a movie. I get emotional talking about this. We're going to be back. And, and, and people are going to be watching uh, movies and theaters again. And it's going to be a great day when that happens. So thank you guys for, for having me on to, to talk about this. And um, I, I encourage the listeners to, you know, um, just, you know, stay strong. We're going to we're going to come back. Excellent. Phil, thank you so much for your time, man. We really appreciate thank you it. so much. All right, thank you. We are very thankful to Phil Contrino from NATO for joining us to set the record straight on everything that's going on with theaters. But I do want to circle back around to a point uh, that Kevin brought up in terms of that price point and a family that's not able to get out 
to the movie theaters right now just because the theaters are closed. And it's building a little bit on what Phil was talking about, but just us dealing with the new normal of our entertainment options. And some of it's to what Jake was asking too about the families that are stuck at home. So we, you know, obviously we have uh, two boys and they're both home now and are going to be home for the foreseeable future as everybody's shifting to online learning. And I'll tell you what that does, guys, and maybe you are experiencing some of this too in your day to day. Um, when everybody's home all the all the time, there's no separation between uh, you went to work or you went to school and you're coming home. Yeah. Right? So we've really um, found that when we have something to look forward to in the evening, that's something we can all sit down and do as a family. Yep. Uh, it's a great disconnect from now I've ended my work day. Now you've ended your school day. Now we're going to sit down together. We did War of the Worlds the other day, uh, Spielberg's movie, just as one to pull off the shelf and throw back on. Um, when we turn on our televisions, uh, there's a blasted uh, ad for Onward at the top. And Michelle was like, oh, that's coming like right away. And I was like, yeah, that's the new norm now as things are coming much quicker. So we're like, great, let's do that. You know, like just at the end of your day, having something to look forward to is super important for families right now that are trying to maintain some structure and keep, uh, you know, parents, jobs, kids, their day to day for school and to just get them away from technology and, and back in front of a, a regular thing like that. I wanted to point that out, that I think that that's super important to having these VOD distractions uh, available as well, too. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the, at the end of the day, that's where this becomes interesting is because we are all theater advocates, but we all are also human beings. We all also understand the times and there has to be a coexisting element at this point where people where VOD is the only way these new movies can be seen. And there's nothing, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And you're talking to somebody who's obsessed with the theater uh, going experience. I love what you just said, because I feel the same way. Lauren and I have been like, Oh, we're going to watch lost uh, tonight. And then we're going to watch, um, you know, bloodshot tomorrow. It, it, it does give you like, it's like you're going out for a screening, right? Like the, the blurred lines of work. And I think it's interesting for Jake too, because we're both doing our morning shows from our houses, from our places. So, you know, we're in our own studio by ourselves. Uh, and, and for Jake, you're, you don't live with anyone. So that's gotta be another interesting element. I have Lauren here. You have your family there, Sean, you have Daenerys. So it's, I, I'm wondering like, like for Jake specifically, this is completely off topic, but are you like, hanging out with people that live in your building? Are you like talking to people? Is everybody kind of doing their own thing? Um, you know, everyone in the building is kind of doing their own thing. Um, I, uh, I, I, um, I'm, I'm seeing someone. I'm, I'm okay. Oh, Hey, Oh wow. Hey, hold on. Hey, that's oh. a breaking news on the podcast. Now is not the time to have this conversation. Please. <laughs> Wait, is that, can that be the headline hey. of the episode? Real blend 111. Jake seeing someone. Hold on. Let's, let's clear the decks. <laughs> I don't care what else we were. Let's go down yeah. that path. This is, this just got real. Juicy. That being said, I actually did want to play devil's advocate for a second. And, and it was, a, it was a point that I wanted to bring up to Phil, but I didn't think about it to the end of the conversation. And it's not a note that I wanted to end the interview on, but I want to ask you guys, something is there because this is a little bit of a fear of mine with everyone spending so much time right now sitting in front of a tv binge watching netflix and trying to find something you know you know a lot of people are sitting watching tv when this is all done are we we're talking about what everyone's going to be doing whenever we we get out do you think that many people are going to want the first thing that they do and if they get done binge watching for six weeks to go sit inside of a movie theater and watch something else on a slightly larger screen? So to answer that question, there's two things you can look at. 
Um, and I don't know how they're going to do this, but I think the ba- the best way to reopen the theaters is on a weekend where a massive film opens. Like if you like, like we're, if we're if we're gonna like if we're gonna um, slowly open the theaters, maybe you start on like a, a Monday with a big Friday release, and you just ease the week in with theaters opening, and then you hit Wonder Woman or or whatever major film. I think that might be an interesting way to do it. I mean, to answer Jay's question about getting used to this, I, I kind of like what Phil said about we're gonna probably get tired of this. <laughs> we're gonna get tired of sitting in our homes and watching streaming content not that it's a bad thing it just becomes monotonous movie theaters are new and they're engaging and there's things happening all the time there's fresh people there's you know new movies there's new posters there's new popcorn popping you know there's there's something about a movie theater that feels energetic it's new it's fresh so i it's an interesting question is is it the first thing people are going to do right when right when everything reopens i i I doubt be the first thing people do, but I also wonder: Is everything going to reopen right away, or is it like, is it going to be like? Well, a well he said himself that first. it was going to be a, a slow, gradual, and, and yeah. so I think not only is it going to be slow and gradual for uh, for theater owners to open back up, but I also think it's going to be slow and gradual for um, for audiences to find their way. Because I honestly just don't think. That, that oh the worry about be, oh you talk about the worry about the spreading you're, yeah. you're, you're talking about like people get being in touch with other people oh I, I see what you're saying yeah no, you're I'm talking, talking about, about I'm talking about like when this is all done and it's said and it's through I just don't think the first thing people are going to want to do after they are able to get out of their homes again is rush back into a movie theater I just don't think that's but is there happen. is there a difference than going to a movie theater than going to a crowded restaurant I I see what he's saying like if we're just stuck at home watching screens do we want to go out and watch another screens kind of thing Um, and I think the way that you get past that one question I wanted to ask Phil and I don't even know if he knows the answer to this but let's say they do a gradual rollout of uh, openings right when they open are they just going to have the same things that were available to them in February when they closed like are all the theaters going to have Invisible Man and Bloodshot because now those are movies that are on VOD or do they have a deal in place? And uh, he probably would have deferred and said it's a studio question. Do they have a deal in place like Kevin is saying that if they have a soft rollout date that Disney's going to give them Black Widow? Because I think you're going to have to put something in the mm. theaters that are luring people out. Now, I've heard like when the Chinese theaters are opening um, that they are going to bring back Harry Potter or uh, there's been a discussion of we'll, we'll double feature Infinity War and Endgame. Right. Like you bring back something that is such a theatrical experience that that's how you lure the crowd back in until you get to a place where you can ramp up with newer content. I guess that's a that's a thing you could do. You know, like I would go back to the theater if you were showing Infinity War and Endgame again. But if you're if you're Disney, I think the plan would be like like Sean just said, Black Widow becomes the movie that we all come back to. And during the week, they do an entire 23 film MCU watch. Oh. To build you back up to the, I mean, not everyone's gonna go to that. See that though. I mean, like even even when when society was normal, not that many people went. I mean, like obviously, like there were some, but like that wasn't something that people were dying to go do when in a normal society kind of thing. I could see hardcore MCU fans getting behind something like that and supporting it. Yeah, you know but they I mean? got behind Endgame, and that was stupid. Stop it. Why do you not just just mean I would tell them to put lost on the big screen, but we want people to come back. <laughs> not get angry. Wow. Wait, right. It just got Sean, personal. Should I not finish what lost? Is it not great? Uh, you can get out of like season three. OK. 
right, I want to go to a talking point. Uh, and this was submitted by Chris Hutton, who uh, listens to the show regularly, and we thank him for all of his feedback and uh, engages with us on social media. And he asked a question that I think would be a really interesting topic to get into. He said, with the limited number of films released this year, should some studios put their films out for release for a potentially better shot at an Oscar? Now, I, I haven't even thought about this perspective from the awards uh, race, but he says, if the playing field is limited, wouldn't you benefit wouldn't you benefit from it? What are your thoughts? Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, like this is going to be unusual for how long this goes if it's going to affect films that are in the Oscar race. But we tend to see most of those films later in the year anyway. And I'm not even sure if the films that are in Oscar contention are finished right now. Um, you know, we're so focused on the summer blockbuster season or even spring that we're not yet at the awards race category. So do you guys see this COVID-19 uh, spread and the shutdown of theaters having any impact at all on the on the Oscar race? Not really, unless, um, like a point Kevin was talking about, unless it is affecting films that uh, are, are, like you said, in production and not even done yet, unless that delay delays them into getting into theaters. But, I mean, God, we'd, we'd like to think that this thing is going to be wrapped up by the time we get into the Oscar season. Um, and a majority of the big Oscar contenders aren't coming out the first six months of the year anyway. So the the films that are most being affected right now, um, the, the the late spring and the, and the early summer films, are, are, are arguably not going to be the ones that, that really would have made a, a major play, short of maybe something like Tenet. Um, but, uh, but I, you know, unless these Oscar films need this time to wrap up and they're not getting it, um, I, I don't really see it really causing a, a giant ripple effect. But here's where it could have a problem, though. The winner of the Oscars last year, or this year, a few months ago, Parasite, uh, made its debut at Cannes, ah. which is now postponed. Yeah. Um, and there are probably some pictures that we're hoping to get. So, so any festival that was going to theoretically whip up momentum for a title, uh, the more that they get delayed, the, the bigger that problem is. I wonder if there are some titles that are going through post-production right now that maybe they're not able to work on post-production because people are isolated that needed that time to finish in order to get ready for something like the Venice Telluride Toronto weekend, which is normally the kickoff of it. And Kevin, you brought this up with with, uh, Phil in that conversation. You know, June now is starting to get pushed back, right? With Wonder Woman and those titles. We're not that far off from... July, August, September. And obviously September is when the Oscar season kicks into full gear. I hope that this doesn't continue to affect all that, but there's a very real possibility that it does. But it's inter- it's an interesting question because there's interesting there's a couple different ways to look at it. So Wonder Woman was supposed to come out what, November of 2019 originally, or didn't they? Oh yeah, that's and, right. That's right. And what's interesting about that is could you imagine like like if they had released the movie then, it wouldn't be in any type of delay um, uh, issue at this time. True. Which I, which I wonder I what pushed it back. Was it post-production I, or they just want a better window? I want to say it was a better window. I remember Patty Jenkins like tweeting about it when it first got moved. But it, was, it moved from like what? Like the end of 2019 to June of June. 20. Yeah, it was a pretty yeah. far move. And I remember people yeah. being like, oh, my God, we have to wait till 2020 for that movie. And it's like now we're only two months away from that release date, which is crazy. But now they've pushed it to August. Um, so I guess my thing would be with someone like Wonder Woman was you know, that film was probably is probably done. Right. We, we could assume it's probably done at this point. If it was supposed to come out in November, yeah. Yeah. And it's coming out in two months. So that one is interesting because I feel like it's supposed to come out. But now it's not. But what about In the Heights? 
So In the Heights was supposed to come out June 26th. I don't know if that movie's done. And so that's where I was trying to ask Phil about that because that's three months away. That's mm. June 26th. That means that why why not wait on that? Like studios waited to release the news about Black Widow. They waited to release the news about Quiet Place. Movies were like the domino effect of delays happened at different times. So if you're if you're Warner Brothers and you're looking ahead to June 26th, which is three months from around where we are right now, why do you move that movie? And I feel like if you're Warner Brothers, if the movie is done, why not wait until April or maybe beginning of May just to see if the movie, see if everything changes and hopefully movie theaters are reopened. I don't, I don't think some of these movies are done. I don't right. I don't think In the Heights is finished. And so then you the question you're asking about the Oscars that you're the point you made is exactly right. There are movies that are coming out at the end of this year that are supposed to be Oscar contenders that are not going to be finished. There's probably productions that have been put on hold. I have no idea all the different productions have been put on hold for different shows. But there are probably productions that are affecting films that were supposed to come out at the end of this year for the Oscars. So I do wonder if the Oscars are going to take into consideration this period of time. Are they going to push the Oscars back? I mean, I, that, that's where it gets really interesting. It's like a shortened season in basketball. Like when the NBA had a contract negotiation and they just played less games and it was highly unusual, but they kept the playoffs in place. You just played less games. Right. So but what's, what's, I, what's scaring me, though, is June 26th is getting really close to July 17th. And July 17th is the day that dude, you ten, know, tenants oh, getting you pushed so, back. But you're so personal. You know, July tenants 17th, getting pushed back. But you know, but July seventeenth is the day that Nolan was going to release his new masterpiece on the world, and you know, <laughs> and we're getting dangerously close to that because June twenty sixth was in the Heights, and that's now delayed indefinitely. That they're, they're looking far ahead. So that's why I tried to ask Phil that question: Do people know things that we don't know? I mean, three months away is a pretty harsh movie to move at that point, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what's 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 concerning me. I don't know that we're going to be back in a movie theater with new releases until after August. I don't I have no idea. It's just crazy to me. I don't think it's a, it's a matter of the, the, the movie studios th knowing things that we don't know. I think the, the government doesn't really know the timeline of this thing. So I think right now the studios are just trying to make their best guesstimate. And, and like we were saying before, it's a matter of promotion. It's not it's not the day this movie is supposed to come out. It's it's the you know, the, the, the 50 days worth of worldwide campaigning that yeah, the but, talent needed to do before the movie's release date that they have to worry about. But June 26 is three months away. So in my opinion, you look at a movie like that, you go, OK, let's wait until April. We'll take a look at the. Uh, yeah, but, the, we'll, but the, we both know that when it comes to these junkets, that they're already start like planning how these junkets work. And so if you can't right. get people on the phone and book you know, where the talent needs to be and book premieres and book hotels. You know, if you've got people saying, look, I can't handle this right now. I mean, it's, it's you know, even, you know, before the premiere, you have, you know, all of the promotion. But before the promotion, you have all of the planning yeah. and then you have the pre-planning. Like, you know, those initial steps are not okay. able to happen right now. Okay, so to your point, they held off on delaying Black Widow until recently. That was a May 1st release. Right. It, it took until after Regal Cinemas and AMC theaters closed their doors after that came out, then Black Widow came out and delayed their film. So that was May 1st, and they still waited on that one just to see kind of where we would be at, right? I mean, they waited as kind of as long as they probably could have. But also keep in mind, like, how much uncertainty there's been during this whole thing. I mean, they were like, we're still day for day trying to figure out 
how you know what 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 is happening and how long this is going to take place and and you know you know someone uh, tweeted the other day that and I'm going to update it for this moment. South by Southwest was canceled 18 days ago. Like, doesn't that oh feel? God. Doesn't that just feel like a lifetime ago that that happened? Like yeah. we were all in yes. New York for a Quiet Place when when South by Southwest was canceled. And doesn't a Quiet Place feel like a lifetime ago? Do yes. you guys also notice, is time going by faster at home for you? Oh, no, I think it's dragging ass, dude. My, 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 t- uh, see, for me, it's weird because my shift, and same as Jake's, is 5.30 to 1.30. And then once 1.30 hits, you know, then we do our show and we have our interviews and things like that. These days have been, like, moving for a weird reason for me. Sean, are they going slow for you? Um, I just find that I don't know what day it is. Yeah, It's no, like no, that no. weird period yeah. of time between Christmas and New Year. Where uh, yeah. you know where you where you're wearing sweats a lot and uh, and you just don't really you're not really like right now you can't like this is my shot that I use for my morning show no pants <laughs> but that's that's to be expected yeah but <laughs> one Jake. more thing on a serious note and I I just kind of said a bunch of things uh, because I'm still trying to figure out what exactly my question is in regards to scheduling but. I'm throwing all these dates out there because I think my mind is trying to understand why things are being delayed the way they are. Um, So I guess my question to Warner Brothers would be, if you're delaying a June 26th film, why aren't you delaying a July 17th film? What's the difference between those two? Uh, I almost wonder if the studios are having daily conversations with each other of once we open, are we going to try to maintain basically the same order we had. Oh, that's you know? interesting. Like, mm. is qu- well, clearly that's not the case because you've got Bond coming out in November. See, I don't think we're going to see Quiet Place until next year. That's what I'm wondering. Like, where, how far will these films get delayed? Like Mulan, like Jake said, November is a great place for Mulan, but then you have Bond there. The, what, and I've said this in the show before. These movie studios have deals with IMAX and the deals with the with the uh, with the expensive theaters that the, the, oh, you pay premium tickets for so you can't just throw a movie into a window if it has an imax deal it has to be put put into a proper window to play on but, imax but why screens. wouldn't quiet place 2 get a chance to go first once everything opens when you consider the fact that they already did press that that movie has been screened and it's finished and ready to go it just uh, needs an open theater to get uh, dropped into i'll tell you why because on the on the bottom I mean, again this is an opinion um, I didn't mean to sound like a jerk. I'll tell you why. No, I don't really know. I'm just guessing. But on the on the bottom of the poster, jerk. I'm a jerk. On the bottom of the poster, you'll probably get ten text message apologies from me later on. So <laughs> prepare yourself. <laughs> At the bottom of the Quiet Place Two poster, from what I remember, there's a Dolby sign and an IMAX sign. Right. So again, I don't know the inner workings of Paramount and how the movie studios book their screens, but Quiet Place Two. Probably requires a Dolby and an IMAX release. It's probably sure. partnered. I, I don't know for sure. I'm just guessing. So you can't just drop Quiet Place 2 into a theater the minute the theater is open because other films that are coming out still have those those sections. So, for example, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's say like, I don't know. I'm just guessing. Let's say they throw Quiet Place 2 into November just 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 to just to play around with No Time to Die. No Time to Die has an IMAX deal. They yeah. are releasing their film on IMAX screens, which is probably why they moved it so far into the year to find a window where they can play on the required screens for their deals. Quiet Place 2 can't be put there because No Time to Die is there. So that that's where it gets interesting is I don't know if they're going to drop them 
in order. I think they're going to have to that that's where the navigating becomes. How do yeah. you find the windows? Where do you, I mean, look at oh, Fast 9's a great example. They went all the way to April of 2021 yeah. to find their window. Right? It they had to go to 2021 to find their proper release window. That's all over the world. But also keep in mind all of the movies that were supposed to be released next year have halted shooting. So we don't even yeah, know exactly. if we don't even know if next summer everyone keeps talking no. about how like, oh, you know, oh, it's going to be so crammed. All the, we don't even know if like Jurassic Park is going to be ready for or Mission Impossible is going to be ready for next summer. So uh, so a lot of these movies, it's probably a lot of it's probably just being shifted. I mean, it might yeah. be two years before we get uh, a Jurassic World movie. That's fine. Hey, Sam Neill's coming back. But dude, seriously, we might not see Quiet Place till 2021. I already Think saw about Quiet that Place. For one, I, I already saw. I, I know that. <laughs> but it is interesting. We and that's the last movie that Jake and I saw in a theater together, which is actually kind of ironic that you and I got to see a movie together for the last time in a theater. You know who uh, wasn't there? Reopened. Sean. Sean. No, he was I better we than invited Jake him. Said. He thinks he was better yeah, than Jake. us. Remember, we, we invited Sean said. to come with us, and he yeah. said no. Yeah, see, that's funny. So I don't even remember getting a response. I just remember yeah. just dead silence. It was. It was. Our, our text thread was a quiet place. Really? Like nothing, <laughs> yeah, nothing we, for that? Like our text thread was a quiet place? <laughs> you, you, can all, all, you can all go fuck yourselves. I swear to God. <laughs> right, listen, we really like hearing from you guys uh, on topics that you want us to discuss. We'd love to hear more from you guys in regards for, uh, for other topics you want us to get into, especially as we're in this drought of entertainment topics. Although that's, you know, it's... it's it's not quite a drought. There's still plenty of things to really discuss in terms of what's going on in the industry. But if you have things that you want us to discuss, uh, email us at realblend.cinemablend.com or, of course, hit us up on the Twitter feed as well, too, uh, at realblend. Uh, this week in streaming, uh, we want to bring up the fact, and I think, Jakey, you're caught up on Ozark. You watch that show, do you not? Because yeah. season three is coming to Netflix on Friday, March 27th. Yeah. Uh, tell people why they should watch this show, Jake, because I started watching season one. I think I got a couple of episodes into it, and I kind of forget why we stopped watching it it's pretty bleak if i remember it, yeah it's very bleak um you know here's the thing it's the best show that i would still fit into the it's good category like is it like breaking bad quality like, no no in fact i've been sort of like I, if i were going to say anything i would say it's it's sort of a backwoods breaking bad but right. not nearly as good as breaking bad like if i had you know if there if there's a, a caliber of shows that are great I wouldn't put this in that caliber caliber. I'd put it in like the good caliber, but at the top of the good caliber. enough so that I'm excited for season three. It's an easy watch. Um, you know, the thing that excites me about it is that Jason Bateman directs a lot of the episodes and he directed several episodes of the outsider. Um, I've liked the films that he's directed. Um, and so really I, the thing that, that I'm getting excited about coming out of this show is him as a director. Um, he's great on the show. Laura Lenny's fantastic. It's a pretty great ensemble cast. Um, you know, it kind of has, honestly, that Breaking Bad feel where these people keep getting into the over their heads, and, like with these drug cartels, um, a, very, a very specific setting, much like New Mexico was for Breaking Bad. Um, but uh, but no, I, I very much enjoy it. I'm not going to say like, oh, my God, it's the greatest thing on television because it most definitely isn't. But it's it's a very good version of a good show. Okay, I want to plug the fact that there's a bunch of early VOD releases hitting now as well, too. We've been talking about the ones that uh, we've been checking out through the 
either rental or purchase uh, opportunity. But on March 24th, you're going to get a chance to catch up with a lot of things that you might have missed in theaters, starting with uh, Ben Affleck's The Way Back uh, coming out on March 24th. I think both boys recommended seeing it uh, while mentioning that it is still pretty serious uh, and dives into a lot of things that are almost personal demons from Affleck's point of view. Uh, We have a very good interview with uh, the director, Gavin O'Connor. So please go back through and uh, and make sure that you listen to our episode with him after you had a chance to check out The Way Back. Uh, Bloodshot is coming out on the 24th. Sony was able to put us in touch with the director, uh, Dave Wilson. So if you want to go back and listen to our interview with him as well, too. Kevin, did you start watching it, or are you going to do it tonight? I hit play, and then I got I, I got distracted, um, to be honest. I, I was running around my house after the morning show this morning, so I'm going to sit down and watch it tonight or tomorrow. But Oh, give yeah. it your full attention, please. Really? Sir. <laughs> yes. I want, you to, I want you to text me after you watch it, because I definitely need to hear your feedback. I can't wait. I can't wait to see it. It actually looks kind of cool. I mean, I know that I listened, you know, the uh, your review of it intrigued me only because, like, I know it's not going to be great, but it sounds like it might just be mindless fun. And, Jake, I was curious for you. I was. Did my dad ever tell you about his favorite TV show of all time? Oh, this is going to be interesting. I was curious if you heard this. Kevin's dad's favorite TV show of all time. G.I. Joe? Joe's Ark. God damn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we had Kathy Yan on the show earlier this year, uh, and her movie Birds of Prey is also coming to VOD on the 24th. Kevin, I'm actually surprised, given Lauren's uh, penchant for all things Harley Quinn, that you guys have not grabbed uh, Birds. Well, I guess the 24th is going to be It's today. Out. No, it came out today. Oh, today? Uh, nice. the, the, okay. the day we're recording this is, yeah. So you we're, really we're, don't um, know what day it is, do you? <laughs> no, I truly do not. Sean was no. not kidding. It's show day. It is show day. Um, we, by the way, every single morning at six fifty a.m. every week we go show day. We always text each other, that. and it's usually followed by an expletive with a, with a yes, curse word. But no, no, Birds of Prey is available. That's a purchase item, so we are going to get that one next. But we're going to. We did the gentleman this morning, though. Oh yeah, so Kevin, you want a little bit of time to talk about the gentleman too, because that's a film that yeah. you really, really liked, and now you own. So give it a little shout out. I just wanted because Jake and I saw it together, and and it was like this equal. You know who else mindset. wasn't there? Sean. Yeah, Sean wasn't there. Um, but Jake and I saw Gentlemen together, and we both had this equal mindset of like, oh my gosh, this is Guy Ritchie returning to uh, to his form, like the Snatch and Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. I was re-watching it just now with Lauren, and I was remembering my thoughts during the movie because Jake and I were, I, I thought it was more like, it was like a ping pong match. So it was like a ping pong going back in my head of like scene to scene to scene to scene, and you weren't really grasping anything because it wasn't meant to be grasped until the reveal. And I think it's just a really calculated, very well done script that does not feel calculated. It's really just really solid filmmaking. Um, And just Hugh Grant's monologue in the beginning about like 35 millimeter film and like grain just made me really excited. And I I think the script is great. Charlie Hunnam is one of the scariest characters because he's so reserved, but you know he can be so violent. Uh, And McConaughey, I thought, was great in it. Um, It's not... the best movie I've ever seen is, is it snatch? Is it lock stock? No, but it's definitely, it's one of the best movies I've seen form. so far this year. Yeah. It's ah. funny. You know, <laughs> maybe we can do this on the show. Cause I was thinking about that today. My favorite movies of the year so far, my top three are the invisible man, uh, uh, the gentleman, and then uh, bad boys three. Those are my top three films. Can we count a quiet place? Yeah, I would count it. Yeah, I, mean, I saw it. If we then, don't yeah. know that it's going to come out this year though. No, oh, that's interesting. That's way too. Th- Listen, it's first off, it's March. <laughs> Secondly, oh, God. we're in a pandemic. 
that has shut down all movie theaters. Do not engage in a conversation <laughs> of the, the best movies I've seen so far I, this year. I did see tweets about like <laughs> next year's Oscars. Like if like and and the, again, we're not making any light of the situation. It's a very serious situation. But people were joking online about like if if movie theaters don't reopen. Like the next year's Oscars will be like Vin Diesel for best actor yeah. for Bloodshot, <laughs> and like I just thought that people are just really clever. Like, but imagine like, but right now if the Oscars were to happen with just these three months, Elizabeth Moss would probably win best actress for Invisible Man. That's what people were uh, saying, and I agree with it. She was amazing in that funny. movie. It's a make good, a make yeah. good for all of her great performances. Uh, all right, uh, Real Blend recommends. Uh, we are going to give one quick choice of something that we are. Uh, Either binging or have binged. Yes, Gabe. Yes. No, we're doing oh. movies. One movie. One movie. Wait, Gabe is telling me the, that I have to mention. Oh, just the fact that there are two other VOD titles that are coming. Just Mercy uh, from Warner Brothers available on the 24th. And I still believe, because Gabe is such a huge country music fan, want you all to know that it's coming on the 27th of March. So please uh, support those VOD releases. And hopefully, like Phil was mentioning, some of those uh, studios can figure out a way to get some of that VOD revenue back to the movie theaters as they continue to struggle with being closed. Okay, so movies. Uh, Jake, what is your Real Blend recommends movie to stream this week? Uh, I'm going to pick a movie that I still to this day genuinely don't feel like gets enough love, and that is actually my favorite uh, Tim Burton movie. Big Fish is available to stream on Hulu. Um, I think that is just one of the like most fantastical, magic, enchanting movies um, I'm also, as I've spoken on uh, many times on this show, a, a sucker for a good father-son movie. And it's all about this this really incredible idea of, of something that we all do, which is growing up believing that our parents are these larger-than-life giant figures. And so that slow realization, not necessarily in a bad way, but in a very human way, which is that your parents are are humans. They're, they're people. They're, they're, they, they have flaws just like we do. And, you know, the, the whole movie is obviously goes back and forth in time. It's it's uh, a, a young man played by Billy Crudup who is, uh, you know, talking to his father who's on his deathbed. And as his father is on his deathbed, he realizes, like, I, I don't know you. You've you've told these fantastical tales your entire life. And I'm begging you on your deathbed, please tell me the real version of these stories. And the movie flashes back to the versions of the stories that he used to tell, in which case a younger Albert Finney is played by by a great Ewan McGregor. I think it's Tim Burton's best film um, by a long shot. Um, it, it, it makes me happy weep and sad weep and it makes me laugh and it's, it's sweet and it's genuine and it's heartfelt um, and it is available to stream on Hulu if you've never seen it or you it, maybe you know, you've seen it but it's kind of been you know, uh, in your peripherals. Give it another shot um, because it really it stands the test of time. You know, Jake, awesome. Jake brings up that that theme of like realizing your parents are adult uh, are humans. And to me, it's like one of the most like it, it, it's such a alarming, scary thing when you had that thought process. I remember uh, interviewing Timothy Chalamet for uh, Little Women, and we were talking about the idea of going from childhood to adulthood and kind of the moment he realized he became an adult. And he said exactly what Jake was just saying about Big Fish. He goes, the moment I realized that I was becoming an adult was the moment I realized my parents don't have it figured out. Like no one has life figured out. We're all navigating through it. And I, I got goosebumps on my arm when he said that, because I'm like, what a profound thought that you become an adult when you realize that your parents are also figuring the world out. <laughs> like that is pretty wild to think because yeah. as you grow up, you do think like Jake was saying that your parents are kind of like, they have everything figured out. They they're telling you, they're taking care of you. 
But, you know, as I've gotten older and I realize that, you know, my parents are the greatest people on the planet, but they're human beings at the end of the day. And it's like that is a scary realization <laughs> when you realize that we're all in this together and we're all figuring it out like that. That was a pretty profound thing that I remember him saying to me, which kind of got re-sparked because of Jake's big, uh, big fish theme. So sorry, I went so on wait, that tangent. Is your real blend recommendation Little Women then? No, 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 no. We're going from I, I, big I, fish to Little Women. I oh, God. That's why we don't acknowledge your puns, uh, dude. No, yeah, I, I didn't mind that one. That was good. I'm sorry. Like that, that. I'm sorry. That is why my puns are not good enough for this show? For this fucking show? My puns aren't good enough? That's part of the reason why in a separate text conversation, Kevin and I always discuss how we're going to handle your puns. This <laughs> yeah, we have, a, we, we have a pun thread. I'm sorry. There's a bar for threads on this fucking show. And I don't like match it. I don't I don't meet the, the standards of puns for this show. Kevin, I'll text you after the show. Hey, about this. Uh, Jake, what, uh, I haven't said this in a while, but God damn, I want to quit. <laughs> Jake, I was curious. Um, you were talking about big fish. Uh, did oh. you ever? Did you ever hear about um, Jamie Lee Curtis's favorite Tim Burton movie? Please, this please, was her, this was give me an day. example of of the level of puns. That's so easy. That's so easy, dude. It's not even close. Wait, 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 wait. Sean, you know it. Of course. All right, go ahead. Give it to me. It's Big Fish Called Wanda. Yeah, there we go. All right, cool. All right, cool. Thank you. Thank <laughs> What's you your pick? Uh, that was it. That was it. All right, all right. No, the pick is. That's the um, bar. <laughs> yes, that's the bar. That's the bar. I, I hit a home run, Jake. You saw that? It was a home run right there. Sean got it. He took it, ran it in. It was great. Really, you know, what we did. We did. Sean just now. How do you think sports work? Sean, we had an alley oop just <laughs> Have now. Have you man. ever seen a baseball game? <laughs> Wait, he hit a what home run and I took it, he ran got it, in. it, and ran it in. <laughs> yeah, it was a metaphor. It wasn't meant to be like logistically correct about the sport. I mean, I, I guess that I was trying. Like the alley oop would be a better option. Three point field goal, baby. All right, what about an alley oop? Is that is that better? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. You you've, me you've named three different sports in one metaphor. <laughs> But I'm not a sports person. I was just using a metaphor. <laughs> All right. My uh, streaming pick is Frailty. Yes. Um, which is still today one of the greatest horror films I've ever seen. One of the best twist reveals I've ever seen in a film. Um, Bill Paxton directed it. And the reason why I'm bringing it up is because uh, uh, True Lies is streaming. And I mentioned True Lies last week. It's on HBO Now and HBO Go. And Bill Paxton's performance in True Lies is just legendary it's cl it's a classic performance uh in that movie uh again not condoning things he, the character says but just the character itself is very uh very well fit into the world of true lies um so i went with frailty because bill paxton directed it and starred in it mcconaughey it is just it's a very brutal experience i will say that it's very hardcore it's very violent um but it is an extremely well-crafted horror film and if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. Um, I'll tell you where it's streaming. Uh, stars. If you have Stars, it's available free with your on-demand subscription. It's on Amazon Prime to rent for $3.99 on NHD and other iTunes and Vudu. I, I said this website last week on the show. I'll say it again. I use a site called Decider.com. That's D-E-C-I-D-E-R.com. Uh, or JustWatch.com. You just go there, type in the name of the movie you want to watch, and it'll tell you where it is. Because if you have certain cable cable providers like a stars or an hbo you have it for free 
Like if, if it's on that platform, you don't have to pay for the rental or the purchase of the movie. It's just on the on-demand platform of Stars or AMC or HBO, whatever the on-demand platform is. So just do that so you can save yourself some money. I made a mistake the other day. I had some friends over to watch the other guys, and I had no idea it was on Netflix. And so the next day, I went to Decider.com or whatever it was, and I searched it. I'm like, wait, it was for free on Netflix, and we bought it on oh, Amazon no. for like five bucks. Oh, no. So it was, you know, that's where I feel like a lot of people are trying to figure out these different VOD services. But if you want to watch Frailty and you have stars, you can watch it for free with your subscription. Also, too, if you or, have uh, Apple TV, my like I always just go to my Apple TV, type in the movie, and it will – Find it somewhere. It'll basically like like it'll give my it'll give me all options before renting is the last one. Yeah, and and that's the thing is that there's so many services that it's 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 nice to have a spot where they can they can all be located. And I think mm-hmm. um, people just don't. It's hard. Like I was I was talking to a producer the other night because I was doing a a, a hit uh, for a segment and we were talking about the the audiences and like you know this audience might be in their sixties, this audience might be in their lower thirties, whatever. It's the audiences that are older that might not know all these different services and all these different streaming services. So I found that to be a pretty deep minutia dive, diving into if you have Fios, you can watch 1917 on there. There's so many different options. It's like going to a movie theater and looking up at the screen and going, do I want 3D, 2D, 3DX, IMAX? You know, that's what it's that's what it feels like. So just use a site. It'll tell you exactly where to get it. But Frailty is my pick. All right. My pick uh, is an equally brutal experience, um, probably more challenging than frailty. Human even. centipede three. It's, it's even worse than human centipede three, believe it or not. It's Tom Hooper's cats Oh, <laughs> now available on digital and, uh, <laughs> soon to be coming. Why are you DVD. recommending that? <laughs> because I want everyone else to feel my pain. Oh, I've seen it. <laughs> and it's suffer painful. alongside me. It's a horror. Why did, why did you have to watch it for work? Well, so work thought it would be really fun if so I do this Westworld reaction series. You get tortured a lot. So true. Uh, and so for everybody who says like, oh, your job sounds amazing. Like you get to watch movies. Well, yes, it's true. But every once in a while, they'll come up with an idea of <laughs> oh, would it be really fun to have Sean react to cats? And even at the I, at the pitch, I was like, yeah, that sounds kind of funny. I, I can endure that. And so we uh, rented cats and um, I have a reaction video up on Cinema Blend's YouTube page. That you guys can go watch me endure cats. Um, and it was like the first 20 minutes. I was like, OK, like I get it. Like there a lot of people put hard work into this. And the main girl who plays Victoria, she can she's dance good. and she can yeah. sing. Yeah, she's a talented person. Clearly, there's some talent. But after about the 20 minute mark, it be, just becomes like, oh, is this all that this is like? This is really going to be. And then it just keeps going and going and go and getting worse and getting worse and losing its focus. And it it becomes to the point where you're angry at the movie for existing and you kind of hate watch it till the end <laughs> to just see how it's going to finish. But nobody can redeem it. Like there's no good no. performance that I can point to like, yeah, but at least Dame Judi Dench, uh, you know, saved it or Ian McKellen. Instead, they all just go so far over the top into like theatricality that it it, it becomes such a spoof of musical theater. Uh, and it's really weird in that it leans very hard into the camp aspect of the show, but then keeps pulling back as if to say like, yeah, but we're treating it seriously. And so it never becomes like a full blown bizarre 
interpretation of cats. It just becomes a weird nightmare, you yeah. know, 85 car pileup that you're watching happen in real time. And it's it's kind of fascinating. So I do think people need to check it out. There's a morbid curiosity. I'm sure that everyone listening to this has in that you've heard the stories about cats. I'm here to tell you it's 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 worse than you have heard and you have to kind of yeah. endure it. Um, but just get through like the first half hour and that'll give you a sense. Watch up until Rebel Wilson's first musical number, because that's that is as bad as I'm looking at Kevin's face and Kevin's face is just shocked. I mean, it involves um, digital cockroaches and um, these mice oh, creatures. Seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's really, really strange and bad. And um, and the- yeah, cats. To this Tom day, <laughs> that is the one production that I cannot wait, hopefully, to read about one day. Because at the end of the day, none of us on this show want to hate on a movie. We do not want to be like, you know, we know a lot of work goes into films. I mean, we, sure. we, we are critics. We are going to say if a movie's good or bad, if it works well for audiences. Um, that particular case is pretty... It's it's sad because there were so many people who worked on it and Tom Hooper is a good director and there are great actors in it. And it just it, it, you wonder what what went wrong. I guess the idea of making a movie to begin with is probably not the right choice. And two, I just I would love to know where it broke down. And I was watching Seth Rogen. It doesn't about help it. that the musical is not good. I know, but it's like, but how do you? Like that's a bad start. But I mean, yeah. Judy Dench, Idris, like you have major talent in this movie. Wouldn't be the major. first time that's happened. No, I know, movie forty three, and I get it. But like, it, there's there's just ways. I don't know. I find I, I find okay. All right, we other movies have happened that have had that happen before. Um, sorry if I'm stuttering a little bit today. I I took my. Prozac before the show and it makes me stutter sometimes, so I apologize. Um, you can keep that in, that's fine. Uh, but I I I found that movie to be excruciating, to be a hundred percent honest. Um, like with uh Sean was saying just now, it, it's a nightmare. It, it is what? genuinely and that's what painful. I can't understand. It's not it's not one of these things too that like they tried to do some green screen stuff and they thought like, I'll trust it to the post-production. Like everyone involved knew what they were doing during the making of it. Right. And nobody stood up to say, we got to stop because this is not working. Right. Like this is not, I don't know what you're asking us to do, but it's not translating uh, fully. It looks like you are watching rehearsals. It It literally looks like you're watching rehearsals for a movie that that probably shouldn't happen. I felt the same way. I felt like I was watching the characters reading a script for the first time. Like, (laughs) not that they knew the dialogue. It was like they were given the script and they were like, they were, they were reading the lines for the first time ever. Like they had never heard them before. That's how it felt. It's pretty fascinating. It's, it is, it is a fascinating watch. I'm with Sean. There's a morbid curiosity (laughs) behind it. Um, though halfway through you realize that your curiosity was wrong and it's, and it's, and it's not, it's, it's not like, you know, those movies that are so bad, they're fun. This is so bad. It's excruciating. Like like it's it's the opposite effect. Like you said about the camp. It's interesting. And I wait for, I waited for it to sort of redeem itself and it never did. So if you want to watch me suffer through, uh, the entirety of cats, head over to our YouTube channel and you can watch me. Endure. Is there going to be a Hooper cut? I saw someone tweeting about release the Hooper cut or something no, like that. No, that's like, not like, the cut that they're, relo- that they're looking for. Could you imagine? Like, there's a whole movement. <laughs> that's not the name of the cut they're looking for. And no, I am not writing a book about that one either. That is not my follow-up book. 
Uh, let's get to this week's blend game. Obviously, we are playing hashtag Jessica Chastain blend. Uh, we would love to give a little shout out to Miss Chastain, who responded to a tweet from Jake uh, and appreciated the fact that we were playing the game used on her the hashtag. I have to say that that's the first time I'm pretty sure first time that that a celebrity that we are playing a blend game for uh, was aware of the blend game and used the hashtag, which I thought was amazing. So that led to a ton of audience participation, obviously. Um, I get to go first. Uh, I'm going to determine. And I am picking a movie that I think is probably going to be a direct contradiction to Kevin's choice. Uh, I'm picking The Martian. And it's funny, like that's not necessarily a Chastain that's interesting. movie. Yeah. It's probably a very heavy Matt Damon movie. Yeah. But I still, I love that movie so much, um, and she's a, an integral part of it as well, too. Who, honestly, so I, I, I know to, that she's in it, but who, I, honestly, I cannot remember her in The Martian. She's the captain of the ship uh, that he's on that, that gets, the, that strands him. Okay. And then she's the one who stands up to everybody else on the team and makes them go back to rescue him. So she appears periodically throughout. I know it's very heavy, heavy Matt Damon. But also, I just want to celebrate- potatoes. That film. Yeah, it's also mm. poop potatoes. Um, I want to celebrate that film. Um, it's we talk about Ridley Scott a lot on this show and Ridley can be hit and miss every once in a while. And right around the time you get ready to sort of write him off, he comes back with a movie that fires on all cylinders. Uh, it was Ridley back in science fiction mode, but not being overly serious. It has a really great plot, uh, a script that's based on a, a very popular book, uh, The Martian. It's got an extremely charismatic and uh, magnetic performance by Matt Damon in the lead, but also just really great support by the by the sporting cast. Uh, it's a really difficult premise to pull off of a guy being stranded on Mars by himself. How do you keep that captivating? Uh, but they lean into the rescue mission and they lean into all the different ways that he can keep himself alive. And I found that to be really compelling, almost in a Danny Boyle 127 hours kind of way. So uh, even while I was going through and trying to look at um, films that focus more heavily on Jessica Chastain as an actress and sort of build themselves around her, whether it be Molly's Game or something like that, I just love The Martian so much that if we're picking uh, favorite films that um, Jessica Chastain happens to be in, I'm going with that one. And it's a uh, I'll let Kevin go next because I'm going to assume that The Martian yeah. is more the populist uh, mainstream version of the film that he's going to choose, which would be. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I have to go with Interstellar. And it's interesting because <laughs> it's because of the scene that she's in in the film. I, I love Murph. I love the character. I love the way that. um Nolan built that story. I think that the, I don't know, there's just something really beautiful about that story in regards to family and kind of seeing her character um, evolve uh, from the younger version of the character to the to the current state of the character. The casting there was incredible. Uh, Nolan really nailed that emotional through line. And Jessica, I just think, nailed the way that, that the, you know, the younger actress, what she was going through emotionally with her father leaving and then that had to bleed into the years of the current state of Chastain's character, which I thought was just a really nice arc, um, which is not easy to do when you have two people performing uh, a character. Uh, and so for me, the scene, obviously, that I bring up to you guys all the time, and I'll just say it as if we have new listeners, is, is the interstellar sequence with uh, McConaughey. When he comes back from the water planet, 23 years have passed. He sits down in his chair to watch all the messages that he's missed from his children, uh, his two children. Uh, Casey Affleck has now gotten, you know, his character is the is the brother. He's gotten older. Uh, Jessica Chastain, has, her character has grown up to where she is now. 
And the devastation of just, you know, McConaughey's face in that scene, watching his children grow up, knowing that he missed, you know, the birth of his grandchild or the know that he missed these very important moments in their lives, graduating high school. I mean, I, I, I can't even imagine a father having to compute that. I mean, Sean, I, could you imagine like missing 23 years of your children's lives in a matter of four hours and somehow computing that you've don't ask, you, don't ask me. You know what I mean questions. though? I mean, <laughs> I know, I know you don't love the movie, but you have to think about what that, that says. I mean, it really is an interesting thing. So I'll end on this. And I've said this before, you know, McConaughey is watching that footage for the first time. That's, you know, that's his first reaction to the footage. You know, he knew what he was going to watch clearly, but he hadn't seen that footage yet. And then when Chastain, so what happens in that scene is that the camera, the, the screen goes dark. Casey Affleck says goodbye. And then it goes dark and you see McConaughey's face like, like it wears Murph. And then boom, Chastain pops up on the screen and she says, you son of a bitch. I, I love the way she says that to him in that moment. And it's just so powerful. Uh, and she is one of the major reasons why that scene works as well as it does. If you don't have Chastain's emotional weight in that moment to give to her father, McConaughey's character, it doesn't work. Uh, and so to me, it's a it's a it's a it's a dance. It's a mutual sequence that every person played a key part in, even Casey Affleck, even Nolan, the lighting, the practical light effects as, as the sun is like going by his face uh, through the window of the spaceship, which was there was no green screen. I uh, love it. So that's my that's my number one Chastain pick. No question. So Gabe uh, side chatted me <clears throat> one day as he was trying to figure out what the next blend games were going to be. And he said, you don't understand how difficult it is. When I pick somebody and then I realize they're in Interstellar. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's true, man. So, so Kev, what would your number two have been if you had a chance? Um, probably the help. I loved her in the help. She is so Uh, good in the help. She's great in the help. I mean, I mean, do you guys remember that time period when she was in like every movie? Ever, she was an, it was like yeah. five. She, she kind of went through like a Florence Pugh situation yes. where like we didn't super know who she was, but all of a sudden she just kept popping up and was amazing in Tree all of these life. things, yeah. and then became yeah. the star that she is. Yeah, I, it was an interesting thing. Like she was, she was the it person, and you sometimes you see that. Sometimes you see they'll, they'll try. No, she put, was the it part two person. <laughs> <laughs> that was an unintended pun. Wow! Choo choo! There you go, Jake. Way to go. go! Back in the saddle. Yeah, I, I was never <laughs> off the saddle. Damn it! You took my unintended My horse goal. just rides in a different field than yours. And you spun it into something new. Yes. That was, you know, well Jake, played. that was my alley-oop, unintended. Alley-oop. God, I love bowling. What is your pick, Jake? <laughs> uh, my pick for Jessica Chastain blend is a Zero Dark Thirty. And the reason I'm choosing Zero Dark Thirty, one, I think is an unbelievable film. Such an incredible film. But, and, and I mean this in, in, as a highest compliment, I think she is the best part of that film in, in, in a movie mm-hmm. in which there are a thousand things that could have taken front and center. I mean, you, first she of all, you it. could have even like, you could have made the movie about the, the seal team six and, and done a whole thing about, but, but choosing to make it about her character, I thought was mm-hmm. absolutely the right choice. And it was fascinating. I mean, you're talking so many incredible performances by a wide range of actors, everyone from Jason Clark to Kyle Chandler. I mean, like, isn't, I mean, isn't Chris Pratt in that movie too? Yeah. Like that like, was actually yes. the role he got in shape for, right? Right. So is, he's, that, is he's, that the role that he got in shape for that got him Guardians? Uh, that would I make sense. So, so yeah. amazing performances. Uh, Catherine Bigelow's direction, the the screenplay, all phenomenal. Um, but at the end of the day, whenever I think of that movie, my like my attention gravitates toward her. 
Like she is the emotional weight of that movie. She is the the performance that I first think of. Like she is the face of a movie that honestly could have a thousand different faces because it's just so unbelievably good. So to be the best part of a movie where any part is that close to being the best part of a movie, I think uh, I think says a lot. So that's why I'm going to go with Zero Dark Thirty. Do you know who doesn't love that screenplay? Is Quentin Tarantino? Remember <laughs> he talked about Mark Bowles. That's right. Yes. With him for Zero Dark Thirty. Jake, do you know uh, what movie Jennifer Garner would have chose for uh, hashtag Jessica Chastain Blend? Thirty going on Zero Dark Thirty. Oh yes, <laughs> that one was well amazing. Done. Well 30. done. 13 going on Zero Dark Thirty. <laughs> That's good. Right, this is the show picks. that I'm not good enough for, apparently. That's a good one. Aurora and many, many others chose Crimson Peak. Bree Ramirez, <laughs> Craig, <laughs> and Tyler all chose Interstellar. Matthew Wade, uh, Jamie Biagio, and Brandon said Zero Dark Thirty. Brandy Wagner chose The Help. And then Mikey... Uh, Anna Day, Bamboo, and several others went with Miss Sloan, which I've never seen, but I've heard good things about. Uh, so much love for Miss Chastain's entire filmography. We want to thank everybody, of course, for participating. Next week, you can reach out to us on Twitter, uh, or you can email us at realblend at cinemablend.com. And use hashtag needle drop blend, which is a suggestion by a listener. Uh, Team Fat Man sent this one in a few weeks back. It's the moment in a movie when a musical cue kicks in. It's a needle drop. You're using needle yeah. drop blend. You're picking a moment when music has kicked in. I know mine. And you have been carried into a scene or through a scene or some sort of needle drop moment uh, when... That sticks out to you. You have to pick your favorites, obviously. I don't have to tell you to play the blend game, people. Come on. For God's sakes, we've been doing this for 111 episodes. Hey, Sean. So use hashtag needle drop blend uh, on Twitter and social media or email us your pick. Yes, Kevin. I just got a text from Jessica Chastain. She just wanted to um, uh, throw in another choice. Did you hear hear about Jessica Chastain's favorite uh, cinematographer of all time? No, I do not know that one. Crimson Deacons. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is the bar that I'm not, that I haven't risen Crimson above. Deacons. Crimson Deacons. Well, you said Crimson Deacons. <laughs> yeah, Crimson Deacons. That works. Crimson, That's better. Sorry. Crimson Roger Deacons. All right. This week's review comes to us from. Roger uh, it's, uh This is from Shemek50 from Australia. He says uh, his review title is Jacob. So, Jake, I'm guessing that this is for you. Oh, God. Uh, Lots of love from Australia. Love the podcast. The interviews are always great. You guys always ask really interesting questions. The sit down with Quentin was amazing. Yes, sir. It truly was. And I'm really just speaking from our own perspective Uh, on the best of the year episode when Kevin was talking about how blessed he is to be geeking out about movies with his friends. It hit home because it's something me and my friends love to do too. So thank you very much, Schmeck50 from Australia. And that's honestly what we just want this show to be, is three or four geeks sitting around talking about the movies that we love and hopefully you guys chiming in and participating on social media as well too. How can you do that? You can follow us at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV and at Sean underscore O'Connell. You can follow the show at Real Blend. We are 
getting dangerously close to 2000 followers on social media, which is really, really great. And we're um, getting really great reviews on iTunes and we continue to love you guys for showing us all that support. We are going to be back. I told you we're going to keep the show going and finding new and interesting things to talk about. We have some really fun guests to still plug into the show. So uh, we'll be back next week with a whole new episode, episode number 112. If you have topics you guys want us to discuss, get it to us on social media or via email and until then I am a oh, wait, little confused Kevin. why Jake didn't choose Jake Shelter uh, that's the one I don't understand how you did not choose the Jake Shelter the love of in the show <laughs> Dude, I I really tried. He did I tried try. My best I'm just, to I'm, get us out. At, at one point, I realized that my puns were bombing horribly today, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna keep going. Bombing, Jake Shelter's pretty bombing, good though. Bombing. I, I kind of <laughs> Jake Shelter. Jake Shelter. All right. Until next week, Dunkirk. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working. The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.